0: Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for joining. We have a lot to talk about in this episode. In the news, we have Dr. Fauci, this guy right here. He's like the leading medical expert over this whole pandemic. So he's the one kind of calling the shots with the medical aspects of it. He says that after this week, we'll start to see a turnaround. That's what he said. That's pretty big news. I want to talk about that. We have Senator Bernie Sanders dropping out of the presidential race. That leaves us with Biden and Trump. I'm going to be talking about what I think this means for the stock market, the economic impact of it, my thoughts on his candidacy. And then we have news like this. Unemployment claims total 6.6 million last week. That's just one little headline amongst a lot of headlines of extremely negative economic news. You're getting it from all over the place, horrible economic news, followed by a stock market that is continually going up. This is actually leaving a lot of people very confused, a lot of people frustrated, There's people online bemoaning that the stock market continues to go up when it shouldn't. It shouldn't be going up right now. It doesn't make sense. Nothing is right about the market. It should be going down because the economic news is bad. That's a lot of people's thoughts on the subject. I'm going to be addressing this whole train of thought that the stock market needs to be directly following negative economic news. Why I think that assumption is somewhat flawed. So we have a lot to get to, a lot to talk about. First of all, I want to go over my portfolio go over a couple things with it. I've been managing it a lot more actively than I previously have because with all this volatility, I feel like there's more to take advantage of. I don't feel like the market is quite as efficient when it's going up and down 3 or 4% a day. Lots of companies are trading 10 or 20% in value every single day. So with that type of movement, I think there's a lot more inefficiencies that you can take advantage of. But let me just give a quick update. My portfolio value is $81,300. That's up quite a bit from the previous episode. If I go to my gains, I'm in the red by a thousand bucks, a thousand dollars. We're in putting distance of getting back into the green. That's a little bit of a change there. If we look at my previous episode, just to give context, I released this episode last Sunday. So this is pretty recent. I was in the red by almost $12,000. So just in one week, I've came back quite a bit. In fact, if I go to the week view, I'm up 9400 bucks. So what a difference five days can make. This portfolio has held up really well during this downturn. A lot of people saw my portfolio go into the red. I did receive some comments of people saying, that shows you don't know what you're talking about. Look, you're losing all this money. You're in the red by $12,000. At one point, I went into the red by $16,000. That's something that doesn't worry me because I know the companies I'm buying. I'm not concerned if they go into the red next month or the month after. I know what I'm buying. They're good companies that I think will be around for five to 10 years. So whether I go into the red by $10,000 or this portfolio goes back into the green doesn't really change how I feel about the strategy that I'm doing. I'm buying a lot of diversified assets that I think are high quality, that pay their shareholders out, they have strong balance sheets, and I think will be resilient during any recession, including the one we're in right now. So This is something that I look at it. I think it's fun that the portfolio has recovered a lot, but at the same time, I was having a lot of fun buying these companies for cheaper prices. So it's somewhat mixed emotions about how I feel from my portfolio recovering this quickly. I do want to mention that I've been having a lot of fun with this investing strategy. I just think it's such a fun way to invest. Out of all the different types of ways that you can grow wealth and invest over time, I don't think there's more of a direct, plain, straightforward way of investing than dividend investing. And it really has nothing to do with dividends. It's the fact that you have companies that they pay their shareholders a percentage of the money they make. It's such a straightforward relationship. We have a lot of companies that they have a lot of cash flow. They make a lot of money. They're net positive in their cash flow, and they can afford to pay out their owners. When you buy shares of them, you become a partial owner of that company. You're entitled to some of the profits. The company says, We're going to give our owners some of the profits of it. It's such a straightforward way of investing. I really enjoy doing it. I own all these different companies in different sectors. They have different risk factors. They have different businesses. They sell different products and services, but they all have something in common. They all try to reward their owners by paying them out on a routine basis. I add up these payments every month, and I see how much money I'm making from my companies, passive income, my ownership in these companies every single month. And you can see the trend over time. The amount of passive income that I'm making from my dividends, from ownership in these companies, is going to continue to grow over time, regardless of what the economy does. There are some companies that have trouble. We have some like Boeing that completely cut their dividends. We have other companies like in real estate, NRZ, new residential investment that cut its dividend by 90%. If you own 47 different companies, do you think it's a realistic expectation to have every single one of them flourish? Every single one of them do fantastic in the future. No, that's a completely unrealistic expectation. When I look at all these companies, I know that some of them are going to have a tough time. Despite my best efforts in filtering and researching for the best companies, a couple of them are really going to have a tough time. And sometimes it's ones you don't expect. I did not expect Boeing to have a tough time. That's a company I considered a very reliable, solid company that I couldn't really comprehend having this much trouble. This is the reason diversification matters. This is the reason that you have a lot of different companies in different sectors with different risk factors because some of them are going to have a tough time. Some of them will cut their dividends. But if you have the overwhelming majority of them doing okay and continually paying you, you're still going to see this number go up over time. So I have a couple companies that have struggled Overall, the majority of my portfolio has done really well. The way I view it is similar to if you're a real estate investor, you own 100 properties across the country, lots of rentals, and most of them are rented. You have like 97% of them rented, paying you money, but there's going to be a couple that you have unexpected stuff happen to them, so you have to sell it at a loss. As long as the majority of your places are doing okay, staying rented, and paying you money, you're going to end up being okay over time. I own a lot of different companies. The overwhelming majority of them are doing great. They're doing just fine, and they're paying me out consistently. So I've really enjoyed this strategy so far. Now, moving on from this, I want to talk about why my portfolio is going up, why the market's going up. A lot of people are really confused about this. Now, I've been saying for a while that I think out of all the different news items that we have, This one is the biggest, the coronavirus. How long is the economy going to stay shut down? I think that's the biggest question that investors have. We have news like this that Dr. Fauci, the leading medical expert on this, he's saying that after this week, we'll start to see a turnaround. That's pretty positive news. After this week, we'll start to see the virus turn around. Then we have indicators like this. This is the daily new cases of the coronavirus in the U.S. You can see that it peaked right around the 3rd of April, then it dropped down Then it looks like it went back up to the peak a little bit. We can't say for certain that this is the stop of the trend going upwards. Maybe it will continue to have huge days going upwards, but this is somewhat motivating to look at. It does look like it might be leveling off a little bit. We could see the peak of the daily cases here. So this type of news, I think, is the biggest thing investors are focusing on. The economy being shut down is a result of the government saying, stay home, we have a virus. That's the reason the economy is shut down right now. So health officials saying that we're turning the corner, that we might get to the point where we can see the economy eventually reopening, that's going to be something I think investors respond to positively. Now, I've been reading a lot of different chatter online, a lot of different investing forums and groups, and it's interesting to see a lot of people feel like with the bad news that we have, with the economic news of the unemployment, the GDP going down. That the stock market must follow that. That it must go down with that negative economic news. In fact, a lot of people are very upset that that's not happening. Here's a couple examples of this. Why is Six Flags going up when the park is closed? Why is Hertz rental car going up when no one is traveling, renting cars? Why is Disney going up when both parks, studios, and cruises is closed? Why is United Airlines going up when they're on the verge of bankruptcy? These are the type of comments and posts where... I don't think people really understand what motivates some investors. For instance, he asks, why is Disney going up when both parks, studios, and cruises are closed? That's a valid question. I realize that all of that is taking place. They've closed all their parks. They've closed their studios. About 80% of the company is currently shut down. Yet in the past month, I've purchased more Disney than I have in the past two years. So he's asking that question directly to me. I'm one of the ones causing Disney to go up. Why is that happening? What I see is a company that has a temporary closure of 80% of its business, causing it to come down drastically in value. It went down to about 90 bucks a share from 150 So I took advantage of that dip, bought a company that I think will be around in 10 years and be much more valuable at a heavily reduced price. The reason that I think the company is going up is because investors realize that Disney's not going to be closed forever. The parks aren't going to be closed forever. The cruise ships aren't going to be parked forever. Is Disney going bankrupt? No. The company's not going anywhere. So why wouldn't I buy the company? If I think it's going to be worth more in 10 years than it is today, by a large margin, I think it's going to be worth more. Why wouldn't I buy shares now? And of course, this isn't the only comment like this. A lot of people in their frustration when the stock market is not going the direction that they want to, the instant go-to is to blame the Fed. Because the Fed is offering liquidity and markets like mortgages that have completely frozen up, they blame the Fed because the market's not behaving how they want. I'm getting annoyed. There's a fake market with the Fed pumping unlimited money into it. We have another post here. I give up. I bought puts on SPY and now I'm 90% down on my portfolio. I've lost everything. I'm crying now. I'm so stupid for betting against the Fed. Another post here. YTF is a stock market going up. Why are futures up ahead of another possible 10 million unemployment claims? Here's another one. Is the market totally disconnected from reality? Stocks keep going up. Meanwhile, millions of people lost their job, global trade is reduced, international travel is gone, and we still don't have a vaccine. How can we have a 10-year bull market without having a bear market now? Here's another one. How messed up is our financial system that in the middle of a global pandemic, we're only down 5% from April of 2019? Seriously, how rigged is our stock market? You're telling me people have the same confidence right now in the market as one year ago? Recession cancelled. I could continue on reading these. There's a, a lot of these type of posts, a lot of these type of comments. People frustrated, bemoaning the fact that the market continued to go up when they thought it should go down. By their estimation, the market needed to go down. I noticed something a couple weeks ago, just reading online comments and posts. Everybody knew the market was going to go down two weeks ago. That was just a known fact. There was so much negative news, the market had to go down as a result. And it didn't defying a lot of investors expectations putting them in frustrating situations a lot of people like this they had puts on the market they were betting against it now that it went up they lost a lot of money other people that were a little bit more conservative they just put cash on the side but now they have cash on the side with the market going up and what do they do with that cash invest at a higher value now now they're really hoping the market goes down so they can buy back to where they were just a couple weeks ago so This puts investors in a frustrating situation. This is why I do not like basing your investment strategy off of what you think is going to happen over the next two weeks. I don't think it's a great strategy. I think the people that believe they can predict the market, and have done it correctly one time, are just as likely to get it wrong the next time. I put out a public challenge on my Twitter. For all the people saying they can predict the market, I told them, okay, tell me the day that the bottom is going to happen. When is the turnaround going to happen? Didn't get any public takers for that. Everybody that could predict the market, they couldn't give me a definitive day of when that's going to happen. So this isn't a strategy that I like, not one that I try to follow. I might be able to give some insight to those people of why people are buying companies right now, acknowledging that the market might go down in the future. When I buy Pepsi or companies like Disney or companies like Home Depot or Comcast, I'm doing so with the expectation that they're going to be worth more in 10 years. I fully acknowledge that there's some risks in the short term. There's lots of negative economic factors right now. The year 2020 will probably be a pretty rough year for these companies, even going into 2021. If these companies go down in value over the next year, that's okay. These are companies I don't think are going to go bankrupt. I think they're going to be around in five years. So I'm investing based off their future profits. They offer currently good yields. They have good balance sheets. They're companies that are well capitalized. So I have no problem buying them at the current price. I don't need to wait until it hits some ultimate bottom that is impossible to predict. Okay. Now moving on from that, changing subjects a little bit, I have to talk about this news. Senator Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the presidential race. I wish I could give you better news, but I think you know the truth. And that is that we are now some 300 delegates behind vice president Biden and the path toward victory is virtually impossible. So while we are winning the ideological battle and while we are winning the support of so many young people and working people throughout the country, I have concluded that this battle for the democratic nomination will not be successful. Now that he's dropped out, we're left with Biden and Trump. Putting aside your political views, whether you support Bernie Sanders and his policies and platforms and his character, all of that stuff, put that to the side for a minute here. I think on an investment level, If you're looking at the broad opinion of investors, I think that they view him dropping out positively. The reason being is because his policies were very aggressive in changing the way that markets work, changing the way companies are structured and the way that they work. He went after billionaires. He went after the banks. He went after Wall Street wanting to put taxes on trades. He wanted to change the way companies functioned. He has signed bills that want to change how share buybacks work, how dividends work. He wanted to change how you elect a board in a company based off of votes from employees. So there's a lot of really drastic changes to our capital markets that were part of Bernie Sanders' platform. Those are the type of things investors pay attention to. They considered that a risk, something that was unknown. What is he going to do to change the way companies function? How they reward shareholders? all of that was viewed as an unknown. So him dropping out is another thing that investors look at as one less risk for the markets. If you were to compare his policies and platforms to Vice President Biden's, Biden's are drastically less aggressive in their changes. Really, there's not as many changes to healthcare, or to the way companies function, the way the capital markets work. He doesn't want to change Wall Street quite as much. So I think investors look at this and they view Sanders as a bigger threat and changing the way things work than Biden. So I think that investors are viewing this as one less potential change, one less potential risk. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into some questions here. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. The email address is joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. If you'd like to send in your question, you can also leave comments, message me on Twitter or Instagram. I check all of those as well. Jen says, Hey, Joseph, thanks for the high quality videos on finance. This question might be early and a bit philosophical, but I would like your opinion on my opinion that the corona crisis has brought to surface the limits of capitalism. Without massive economic support from our governments around the world, capitalism would bring the world down. Keep up the good work, Jan from Sweden. Well, Jan, I appreciate the question. Uh, I don't agree with the premise or the idea that the government is saving capitalism for a couple reasons that I'll outline. Now, First, I'll say that I would consider myself a capitalist, if you're going to put me in a category here. Uh, I believe specifically that people should have the right to own things. If you work for something, if you purchase something, it should be yours. If I work and I pay for my home, my home should be mine. I shouldn't have it be my neighbor's or anybody else's, the government's. It should be mine if I purchased it. If you work for your car and you pay for your car, you should own your car. That's the basic premise of private ownership. I think that should also extend to businesses. If somebody starts a business, even if it grows to be a really big business, I think that they should own it unless they choose to sell it to someone else. So I believe in private ownership. I also believe in being able to trade and barter with other people. So as far as I'm concerned, I think that that defines capitalism. Whatever type of political ideology that throws me in, uh, whatever. I don't really care. Now, having said that, now looking at this situation... You say that capitalism is being saved by the government, that without the huge stimulus from the governments around the world, that the capitalism system would bring the world down. Let me ask you a question. What entity is closing the economy right now? What entity is saying that you must stay home, that you're on quarantine, that you can't run your business, that in some cases you can't even go outside? They don't even let you drive around outside if it's not what they define as a necessary reason. What group is doing that? What entity? The government is the entity mandating this shutdown right now. They might be doing it for valid reasons. We have a virus spreading around. But regardless, the government is making the decision to close down shops, to close down businesses. So essentially what you're doing, Jen, is you're crediting the government with saving capitalism when the government is the entity that has shut down capitalism. That's essentially what you're doing. The government is the group shutting down businesses from being able to operate how they normally would be able to. And then you're crediting the government with saving those businesses after they're the ones that have shut it down. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the situation? Without the government shutting things down, people would be able to make the judgment of being able to go out and risk catching the virus themselves. I'm not saying the government doesn't have good reasons for it, very valid reasons with the virus spreading around, but that is the case. The government is the entity shutting down these businesses. Now, another thing I'll point out, you bring up the economic support from the government. that The government's giving capitalism, giving these businesses all this money, giving these people all this money. Where does that money come from? Does the government produce the money? What types of products and services does the government create or sell to generate those profits to be able to give it to the private businesses? None. The government doesn't create anything. The government doesn't sell anything. The government derives 100% of its revenue, 100% of the money it gets from capitalism. That's where it gets it, from private enterprises, from individuals paying taxes. The government doesn't produce profits. None of that money that the government is giving individuals and giving businesses comes from the government. The way that they're raising this money is they're selling debt, 20-year treasuries, 30-year treasuries. They're selling this debt, and the individuals that are going to pay back that debt are the businesses that are receiving the stimulus and the individuals paying taxes. So in both cases, I don't really give credit to the government. The money that the government is giving to capitalism comes from capitalism. That's where the money is coming from. The shutdown that is causing capitalism to not function right now is mandated by the government. They're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones saying that you have to shut down. So in either case, I think that there's problems with the, the premise of what you're saying there. Nili says, hi, Joseph. I always learn some different perspective from your videos. I saw that you have high exposure to stores than brands in your consumer sector. Don't you think that brands like Unilever and P&G would have better chance of success over the long term than stores like Home Depot or Target? Yeah, Nelly, I think this is a good question. So I can go into why I don't own some different brands, some big name manufacturers. What I look at is what I think is the bigger dog in the fight, what I think has the most upper hand. Is it the retailers or is it the manufacturers and the brands? I think sometimes the brands have the upper hand. I think sometimes the retailers have the upper hand. Take PG, they own a lot of really great brands. They own lots of Uh, paper type of products, diapers and paper towels and wipes and all sorts of stuff like that. They have lots of cleaning products. I think that most of their brands are pretty decent, but I have my concerns with them. When I go into Costco, you look at the diapers, you look at the wipes, and there's all the P&G different brands sitting there. And then there's Kirkland Signature, Costco's brand. They created Kirkland Signature out of thin air and put it on their shelves right next to P&G, and they can lower the prices, put pressure on P&G to have a more competitive price, and that puts downward pressure on P&G's profits. And Costco doesn't mind because Costco makes profits through its membership. So it doesn't like selling its product for a lot. It likes having the cheapest products as part of their business model. So I look at that and I think, well, Costco kind of has a stranglehold on Huggies and all these different brands because they can put their Kirkland Signature brand right next to it. And I think that that must eat into a lot of P&G's profits. That's a big concern of mine is the store creating their own brand out of thin air. You have Walmart and the Great Value brand or whatever it's called. You have the Kroger store and the Kroger's brand. You have Costco and Kirkland Signature and you have Amazon and Amazon creates their own brands all the time. Amazon sells their own amazon diapers and their own amazon wipes they sell these products themselves and again they have all the analytics they know how to advertise it because they own the store they own the whole platform so they can create a brand they can undercut these manufacturers and price they can put their product out there and i think that creates an issue for companies like G. now i will say i don't think this is the case for every brand i do own some brands in my portfolio right now i still own coca-cola i think that's a brand i think pepsi's a brand I think that Nike's a brand. They make shoes. But take a look at Nike. Could you put a Nike shoe in a Costco and then Costco come out with a Kirkland Signature brand shoe and that would have the same appeal? I don't think so. I think the type of people that are buying Nike shoes aren't going to have the same appeal to buy a Kirkland Signature shoe. So I consider Nike to have a bigger moat with their brand than something like diapers and wipes. I think that people are more likely to go with different types of brands for basic cleaning products and things that are just essential needs than something that is more centered around style and history and culture, all that type of stuff. So I do look at some brands as being valuable. I obviously bought Pepsi on the thesis that they own Frito-Lay, which I think is a good brand. I think when people have little get togethers and barbecues, a lot of times they'll buy Frito-Lay products. They'll buy Pepsi products and they just purchase the brand Rockstar Energy. So I do like brands, but I try to look at each brand as something where I think, how easy would it be for a place like Costco to replicate this brand? Is it a brand where Costco can't replicate it and compete against it? Or is it one where they could easily create the Kirkland signature version of it and put downward pricing pressure on the product? I wouldn't like owning a brand where I think that retailers like Amazon and Costco can have a stranglehold on your pricing power. So that's what I try to keep in mind and look at when I'm investing in these different companies. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode here. I appreciate everyone that subscribes, that shares the content with other people. We'll see what happens this next week. I'll try to have a video out pretty soon. So if you haven't hit the subscribe button, I'll show up in your feed. We'll keep up to date on the portfolio, the trades that I'm doing, the companies that I'm buying, and I'll be talking with you guys soon.